Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash swoopsworld. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com forward slash swoopsworld. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Swoops World, right here on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World, where you get all you need to know about arts, culture, news, and happiness. Our number, if you want to give us a call tonight, is 562-912-3444. You can always email us at swoopsworld at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, if you want to give us a call, that number is 562-912-3444. Now just sit back and enjoy... Another edition of Swoops World on the new Talk Story Radio Network. Swoops World Late Night. It is June 8th, 2016. Uh, looking forward to a big night. Uh, Bob Case will be joining us, as well as Anthony Davis. Both of them uh, knew Muhammad Ali pretty well, so we're going to hear some good stories about uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, you, know, their, uh, you know, their experiences with him over the years, and uh, whatever else t- tends to come up. How many of you are out there watching the NBA uh, Finals right now? I'm telling you, you know, I... Uh, Looks like uh, Cavaliers are, are, are gonna are blowing them out right now, but you never know with uh, Golden State. And I didn't expect them to sweep anyway, but uh, you know some people did. Uh, some people think this is a big comeback for uh, the Cavaliers. We'll see. But uh, uh, what are your thoughts? Some people say it's not an exciting finals, uh, I, and there's question about three point shooting and whatnot. Uh, you know, it's been around for a long time. I don't know why people are complaining now. So uh, yeah, let's enjoy that. We're going to take our first quick break and come back, and, uh, and about that time, Bob Case should be calling in. You're listening to Swoops World on the Talk Story Radio Network, sponsored by HealthyNewDay.com, and uh, let's listen to something here from uh, Black Whiskey Union. This is called Gone. Back after this. <laughs>
over yet? You better stop calling my boyfriend. He doesn't want you anymore. You better stop calling my boyfriend. And I'd like to welcome to the show Bob Case. How's it going, Bob? I'm doing good, Keith. That was my favorite announcer. I'm doing well, brother. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show and and, and talk about all, all the wonderful things you, we we end up talking about. Uh, but uh, we're going to start off, you know what, on, on, a, on, a, on a good note, uh, right out of the gate. I understand, uh, I understand you like a lot of Little League baseball, man. Oh, yeah, you have to talk to our friend. Uh, yes, I... I... Thank you know. There's an old saying we have in the boxing gym. It's um, you know, you can pick your uh, friends, but not your relatives. So thank God for my ex-son-in-law because through him I've been able to see my grandson Luke Riggs baseball games. He's eight years old this year, and I've been going to all the games. And I'm telling you, I've had more fun watching that league. Um, it's just been a great, great. You know, the little kids, eight years old, they're so cute. They're so. They're you know slamming the plate with their bats and everything. They have little skinny arms and skinny legs, but they're all trying and and they all love baseball. And it's just it's just been a a real. I actually enjoy them more than I do watching the big leaguers. You know what I mean? It's just been a lot of, a lot of fun to watch. Them. You know, so I'm they, grateful for that. When they talk about the love of the game, you know, you, you don't get much absolutely. better than that, huh? Absolutely correct. And you know, I was very fortunate. My my grandson has a real good coach that that cares about the kids and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it, that's, what you, that's what I like to see a coach that sincerely cares. It's not just about him winning the championship. I mean, he really is in tune with the kids, and they're in tune with him. So that was a real real blessing to see that. this I, they, they just played their final playoff game last uh Saturday, I believe. So, you know, I'm just grateful that I had a chance to see it. But thank you for asking, Keith. Uh-huh. My pleasure, man. Uh, I always, I always get a kid watching the kids play. And, you know, and and uh, you know, I used to coach youth sports for a while. And the, you know, the the worst thing about youth sports is the parents. <laughs> oh, Usually, the, the kids are having a good time. Parents are causing hey, all the problems. <laughs> Keith, the, the greatest line I ever heard is the greatest thing about little league baseball keeps the parents off the streets. <laughs> Well, you probably got a point there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting things that, you know, uh, we, we've talked before, and you know, I've been over to your house, and, and, and you have your, your wall of fame there, and one of the names I noticed there years ago was Muhammad Ali, and uh, you knew Muhammad Ali. He passed away last week. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with Muhammad. Well, you know, the world is, in my opinion, Keith, a lot worse place today uh, and it's just like I've been really depressed the last, uh, you know, since last Friday night. I my phone lit up like a firecracker. Uh, I got home late Friday night, and uh, I've just been really depressed because uh, you know I know he's been sick for a long, long time. And if there's any good thing about it, he's not. He never complained about it. He never complained. You know, I talked to his wife Lonnie about it a year and a half ago, and she, he couldn't talk on the telephone. You know, he couldn't. You know, he's just been I, a lot of things wrong with him. You know, and he just couldn't couldn't I, I was with him eight or nine years ago and people asked him for his autograph and he couldn't write his name you know his hand was shaking so bad yeah so you know the bottom line is and i've known him since he was a brash i think i originally made him met him in like 1965 and and at the uh, main street gym in los angeles on fourth of maine and then i and he used to go to chagrues 
on 78th and Hoover and training out there a lot. And, you know, it, it was just, he was so filled with energy and a zest for life. And he, and his mind was, I mean, the guy was brilliant, you know, for a guy that didn't go to college, this guy, forget about these rappers today. This was the original rapper of all time. You know what I mean? I mean, he made up his own poetry and he made up, but you know what Keith, sure. He was a great fighter. You know? Probably, in his prime, the greatest heavyweight in history, without a doubt. It was not, nothing even close to him. And, you know, but more important than that was, I got out of him, was the kind of human being he was and how he related to other people and how he, you know, I, I've never met, I, I was, I, since he's passed away, I've been thinking, I'm going to pattern of whatever time I have left on this earth, my life after him. Yeah. You know, he didn't have a prejudice bone in his body. He loved all people. You know, I was curious to see or interested to see that there, at his funeral they're going to have a they're going to have a muslim guy talk they're going to have a, a catholic priest talk a, a, a jewish rabbi talk they're going to have all, a mormon guy talk they're going to have all these different faiths you know uh talk and and the other thing he said he made it very evident sure there's going to be a lot of a-listers you know will smith and billy crystal and blah, 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 and all that stuff and president clinton and other presidents are going to be there and presidents from other countries are going to be there but he wanted it clear. He wanted the average Joe to be there, yeah. Because that's what he was deep down inside the average Joe, you know. And and he just loved life. He loved people. He was part of everybody, you know. I since he's passed away, I've, I've talked to some friends of mine. Have you ever met Mama? Have you ever met him? I, I even asked you that today. Yeah. And you know, it, it's like the people that did meet him, whether they were in an airport or whether they're. Every one of them had a positive experience with him, you know. Right. He was wonderful to people, just great, you know. And he, he used to tell me about religions 35 years ago. He'd say, religions are like rivers. You have the Nile, you have the Euphrates, you have the Tigris, and they all go into the same ocean, you know. I mean, and that's how he really thought, you know. And, you know, it's, it's like um, if anybody can say a bad word about Ali— they shouldn't even be on this earth because there's nothing bad to say about him. Except, you know, he was mixed up with the black Muslims and all that. He had to do that. And we, and I've talked to some friends about that. You know, when he was doing that, blacks were being hung. They were, they were sent, you know, they were having people sending them out in the forest and having guys go and hunt them down as a sport. So, you know, this is what that was going on with Jim Crow back then. He came back from 1960 from winning the gold medal in the Rome Olympics, he came back to Louisville, and they wouldn't serve him in a restaurant. Yeah. And the word goes, you know, he threw his medal in the, in the river. You know, so it's like, uh, you know, you hear all these things, and I think he did more, and a lot of people have said this, than anybody, including Martin Luther King or Jackie Robinson. I mean, he did more for racial, uh, for, for the black people than anybody that ever lived, as far as I see it. What's... And I've met Keith. You know the people I've met. You you know the people I've yeah. been around. And I and I you know I don't you know seven presidents I've met. I've met all these different people. Work for all these celebrities. All a list. There's they're all supporting actors to him. Every single one of them. There was only one Muhammad Ali, and there never will be anything like him. You know. And I I'm so blessed. I just thank God that I had the opportunity to be around him from a young kid. You know. I mean I I was telling some friends today about. In 1966, he was at the Hollywood Palladium. The only two white guys there were me and Jerry Corey, who was in the bottom a couple times. And there was like maybe four or 5,000 people, all blacks, because white people were afraid of him back then. So it was Jerry Corey and I were there. And at the end of the thing, uh, it was, he was on the dais. 
he, he got up and he and I never you never heard blacks using the N word like I I never heard that back then. And it, it, he's he's walking off and the, all these people are mobbing him. The chicks are kissing him and hugging him and guys are reaching out to shake him. They want autographs, blah blah. And he goes, "Leave me alone, leave me alone. I was just another nigga," you know, which which I thought was unbelievable. You know, I, I couldn't believe my ears. You know, but that's the way he did that. As he, you know, what he told AD, he met AD in 1972. He said, "So you're the nigga that scored six touchdowns against Notre Dame." That's, that's the first word you said to him. So you're the nigger that scored six touchdowns against Notre Dame. What's <laughs> What's interesting is, uh, you know, there was a time uh, when he was, and probably still still was, the most recognizable person in the world. And yes. and you were talking about how he brought a lot of people together, which he did. But you know, what you start to hear, and you've heard you've heard it over the course of his career about about him uh, not going to Vietnam. You know, one of the things that's interesting, and, and somebody brought it to attention, and I've said this for years, you know, re- regardless of how you feel about uh, the draft or service or, or wh- whether we should have been there or not, he was a conscientious objector. He he went to jail for his beliefs. He didn't run off to Canada or, or you know, go on the run and do anything. He stood up for what he believed in. He served his time, and he came back out and went back to work, and you know, you say what you want about him, but uh, you know we give we give these people a pass that uh, that just righteously dodged the draft, as opposed to him who uh, who stood up and said, "I, I, I for, for conscientious reason I object," and he and he served his time. So I, I really don't don't know where the, the animosity comes from. I've, I've seen a few people on on uh, you know on the internet and things uh, talking about that. Um, few, but it, it's 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 interesting the take on that. Well, Keith, you know, now think about this. Do you think uh, uh, LeBron James or the Steph Curry or Michael Mike Trout or the Harper guy for the Russian Nationals or uh, any young football player or Peyton Manning in his career, do you think they would have dropped out of the, right in the prime of their career three and a half years? No way in hell. He lost the three, the prime... He fought Zora Foley in Houston, Texas, the fight before he was put put away for three and a half years. He that was vintage Ali, fast in and out, quick. No big guy six three had ever moved like that in the history of the sport. Nobody could touch him. The Ali that came back three and a half years, even though he was still the, the rumble in the jungle and all that stuff, that was a shadow of his former self. Yeah. That's when he started taking the punches and the blows and trading punches with these guys. Even though he won the fights, he was still the, the, the thrill of Manila. That was afterwards. So if, if he hadn't been punched away for three and a half years, you, you would have never, ever seen those. He'd still be walking around today and probably happy. But that was because he slowed down. He lost his legs. You can't take off of that for three and a half years. Right. And as Ali said so many times about that, he said, "No Viet Cong ever called me nigger," which I thought was hilarious. You know, I mean, why would he want to go over there? And and, his, and that was his belief. There wasn't any. Why would he? He would have been. He, if he'd gone to the service, he could have still fought, and they'd have given. He wouldn't have done anything. They'd have treated him like a celebrity. You would have had a celebrity life that you'd have never seen Vietnam if you'd gone in the army, you know. So, and everybody knew that. Right. So, you know, he just stood up for his beliefs, and you got to respect anybody that, you know. I, I, like I said, my respect for him. I could tell you so many stories about the things I've learned. So many life lessons just by 
being in his shadows, you know. And in fact, I heard Jerry West on the other day, the basketball player, and I said, oh, did you ever know Muhammad Ali? And he says, I loved Ali, but he says, I never really got a chance to know him because there was already so many people around him. Yeah. And I thought, God, have I been blessed because I'm not Jerry West and I got a chance to know him. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, it, it's like, uh, and go to his house. I was, I've got a beautiful picture that uh, was taken in his house uh, on Fremont Place in Hancock Park in 1980. It was his, uh, I think it was his 38th birthday party. I was at this January 17th, 1980. And uh, just, a, you know, it's one of my favorite keepsakes, you know, and it's like, you know, the pictures are what mean something because that's the memories, you know, and uh, he was just a wonderful guy, just great. And Layla and, uh, was just, you know, I, met, I knew her, Layla Lee, when she was just a little baby, and she came from, from his, I knew all four of his wives, uh-huh. and Veronica Portia was just beautiful, and Lonnie's the one that's taking care of him so good for the last 30-something years and really helped him, but a wonderful lady. And, uh, you know, it's just you know, he had, he had good people around him, and some people. I'll tell you a funny story. I was talking to this buddy of mine back in Boston. His name is Nick Capola, uh, a big, uh, you know, guy. He's from Revere, Mass. It's all Italians back there, and he uh-huh. he was a huge fan of all these. And he went to his camp in Pennsylvania one day at a training, and Nick knew a lot of people. And he asked Ollie for his robe, and Nick still has that robe in his in his office, <laughs> a training robe, and it was trained in 1975 for. Uh, one of the biggest fight that, that year, like it's the Frazier fight. And so uh, Ali said to Bundini Brown, he says, hey, Bundini, get get this man a rope. So Bundini goes goes in to get him a rope, and he comes back, and he says, hey, champ, there's only one rope. And Ali says, well, that's all the man asked for. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the kind of guy he was. You know what I mean? I mean, he'd give you the shirt off his back. He'd give you, he, you know how much money he gave away? Do you know how many, I, I used to, I was you know, as a kid driving in South Central LA, and I see this huge mob of people. I thought, what happened? It looks like somebody robbed somebody or get shot or something. And there's Ali right in the middle of the street, preaching to all these kids and stuff. You know, I mean, it was like he could walk in. You know how many sporting events in the boxing world I'd be at? He'd walk in, or a football game, he'd come in, and the whole crowd would just go electric. Yeah. It would like it was like it was almost. There was no other person in the world could have walked in a place and had the buzz like when he walked in, you know? So it's almost like he walked on the water. I mean, that's, that's the effect he had on people. I mean, he was just, you know, when he was, when his mind was sharp, you know, when he was, you know, I, I, I told you the story about what he said to Howard Cosell. He said, Howard, every time I look at you, I'm glad all niggers look the same. You know, I mean, uh, he was hilarious. I mean, the guy was always... He was trying to pull his toupee off all the time. He said, Will Rogers never met Howard Cosell. You've heard that stuff. <laughs> well, what's, what's interesting is, uh, you know, the people around him, uh, like Howard Cosell, uh, and there's, 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 a, there's another handful of people, would not have been as famous as they became if it wasn't for Ali. You know? Oh, are you kidding? All, that, Howard Cosell was just a writer in New York until he started hanging around all week. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, all, a lot of those people, you know. I mean, how about the opponents he fought? I mean, they they became famous because they're on his resume. Right. You know, I, don't care, I don't care if it was Jerry Quarry, if it was whoever it was, even guys that didn't win, you know, Vangelista, George Shavalo, guys that, that Shavalo fought him twice. But I mean, all these guys became, Ernie Terrell fought him, and he, blasted him in the head about 50 times and Terrell was calling him Cassius Clay and after it hit him about 10 times in the head he said, what's my name? What's my name? Nigga? What's my name? Nigga? And he punched him and he knocked him out. You know, So uh, 
bottom, the bottom line is, you know, he was, and he was a character. He was fun. He he was, you know, he he went after Frazier pretty hard. You know, called him an Uncle Tom, and Frazier was not Uncle Tom, and everybody knows him in Philadelphia knew that was the last thing he was. But Ali had the whole crowd behind him. I thought people said they go to his fights, and they never saw fights where everybody's rooting for him. You know, at the end, in the beginning, this is what he told me in the beginning. One time he was at my house. I think it was 1993 or two. He says, he says, Bob, I said, I said, Mom, you know, everybody hated you in the beginning. And he said, who pays to see boxing? And I said, I don't know who. The man, meaning the white man. And he said, the man ain't going to pay to see two niggers fight. But if there's a good nigger and a bad nigger, he'll pay to see the bad nigger get his ass kicked. And I thought that was pretty bright, pretty intelligent. You know what I mean? That's the way he talked. I hate to use the N-word all that, but that's how, that's how he talked to me. You know what I mean? That's that's exactly how he he uh, he came to my house one time and he, he met my wife, Alana, who you met, and he said when he walked in he goes, leave him, leave him. You know she thought he was nuts. She said leave him, leave him. And then he sat her down and he says, what color is angel food cake? She says white. What color is devil's food cake? She says black. What do you wear at a funeral? Black. What do you wear at a wedding? White. What color horse does the good guy ride? White. What color horse does the bad guy ride? Black. When it's a beautiful day out, it's light. When it's an ugly day out, it's dark. He went through a whole plethora of things that I never, as a white man, never thought about. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, this guy. I mean, yeah, he could have. And then I used to love to watch him play cards with the kids and show them tricks. If he'd get 10 kids around, he was the happiest guy in the world. Eight, seven, eight, nine, ten year old kids, he was in heaven. He'd play card tricks for them and show them things and spend hours doing that. He'd be totally content. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's a good person. You know what I mean? That is a beautiful thing. Well, you know, what, you know, you, you talk about the, the, you know, those things when he's with, with uh, fans and kids and stuff like that. You've been around, uh, most of your adult life, you've been around celebrities and, and star athletes and, you know, politicians. Um, is, his, is his behavior around those people unusual or, or is he, did he set the standard? Or, we hear, we always hear the bad stories, but are, are those bad stories more prevalent than we, than we know of? Or, you know, is, is uh, he an anomaly? Well, as I expressed to you earlier in this conversation, Keith, I've been around a lot of athletes and, uh, you know, I represented a lot of major league players and the Hall of Famers and everything. And I used to tell them, I told you what Casey Stingley used to say. He said, the fans, without them, we're nobody. We are nobody. And, you know, they, a lot of these guys that bitch about people asking for an autograph. And I said, if you're working at a gas station, nobody's going to ask you for your autograph. The only person ever asked me for one was the higher patrolman. So, <laughs> you know, the, the bottom line is, you know, it's an honor. And and it's it's like you're part of... The fans to Ali, he was, you know, he, you know, he never big leagued anybody. He never acted superior. He was, I never saw him ever, ever refuse an autograph or not, or talk to people or, you know, put their arms around old ladies and pick up babies. See how many times I saw people put their little baby in his arms, and so then he'd pick a picture with the baby, yeah. you know, a two-year-old or a one-year-old. I mean, he was unbelievable. Even when he was sick and shaking, he did that. People at the airport and somebody put a baby in his hands and stuff, you know. In other words, he was so uh, gracious with other people 
uh, like I said, he didn't. He had not a bad bone in his body, and I've been around all kinds of people, yeah. from wise guys from New York, every kind of person. You know the kind of people I've been around in my life, and I've never met anybody like him or seen anybody like him. It was, you know, that uh, uh, just electrical, electrical, you know, and and only spread good. He, he was like like Christ spreading the gospel. That's what he did the last thirty years of his life, spreading the gospel. You know, getting the hostages relieved from the Middle East. You know, going out, you know, talking to people all over the country, talking to, you know, pres- you know, heads of countries, you know, talking to the little guy. He was just as happy in the middle of watch talking to a bunch of young kids as he would be in the White House. Yeah. And uh, that's just the way he was. It, 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 he was. Everybody was the same to him. They were all the same color, the same religion, the same everybody. It didn't matter who they were, you know. And uh, I was so fortunate that I got to see that. You know, I was just blessed and fortunate. Yeah. You know? Did you ever? Uh, I mean, you know, I knew on a personal level. Did you ever watch him fight live? Oh yes, yeah. I saw him. I saw him fight uh, in in L.A. Archie Moore, and I saw him fight Ken Norton. Um, and I, I saw him training a, a ton of times. Yeah. He trained out here a lot at the Main Street Gym, and as I told you, Chagruz was on 78th and Hoover in South Central L.A. It was a big gym back in the seventies. He would come out here and train out there. You know, he he was always he he liked training and he liked the place to be open so people could watch him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he thrived off the energy of people. Watch. He loved people around him. Yeah. He liked some fighters want to be very private and they don't want a lot of people around. He loved all the, the stuff. You know, and people call him the greatest. And that's <laughs> just a character. You know, well, where, I mean, he, he, he 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 was he was a master at marketing himself. Uh, where where do you where do you think he learned that? I think he I think it was just. I think he was a genius. He just didn't go to, he could have been a, you know, a neurosurgeon, a, a doctor, a lawyer, the president of the United States. He just never had the, the college or the degree. And he, he fought because some kid stole his bicycle when he was 12 years old. And uh, he went to the gym and the rest of his history, you know, it's, that's how Tyson got into boxing. Somebody pulled the head off his pigeon, some thug in Brownsville, uh, Brooklyn there, pulled the head off his pigeon. And Tyson was a fat little black kid and he went and then, Went to train and custom model got him and put him up in the Catskills and the rest of his history. Yeah. But, you know, uh, these guys, you know, he, most people don't get into boxing because it's the cool thing to do. Or they get in for a reason. You know, they get out of their environment or get out of, uh, you know, that's why there's not as many boxing. Most so you're, you're, saying, you're, saying, you're saying guys don't get into boxing because they got cut off their lacrosse team is what you're telling me, right? Exactly <laughs> correct. That's right. Well, I mean, most of your athletes today are going into, that's why, you know, the heavyweight division is not like it used to be. I mean, all you also, you, you got to remember this, Keith, he fought in the greatest era of boxing history. Oh, yeah. When, 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 the, when the contenders would be world champions today, you know. I mean, he, look at the people he fought. You know, Sonny Liston, Floyd Patterson. You know, you can go on and on, and Joe, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. I mean, uh, it just doesn't stop. Ernie Terrell, you know, uh, uh, just and then even the guys that weren't world champions, the Hall of Famers, they were great fighters. You know, from that era. So it was in the heavyweight division was definitely that decade, two decades. There was the heaviest, you know, the greatest time in history. Let's talk about that Sunny List, uh, the, the Sunny Listen fights. And those were those were uh, controversial, right? Yeah, well, they said the phantom punch, and that, that'll always go down. You know, who knows? You know, I know he's, I think he got in Sonny's head, you know, yeah. because he was going to his house with a, with his, he had an umbrella, and he was calling him an ugly bear, and screaming it. I, I mean, 
I think Sonny actually thought he was nuts. I think he really thought he was just some locked out nut, you know, because Sonny was no, he, I mean, he, this guy, you couldn't hurt him if you hit him over there with a baseball bat, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, in those days, I mean, you know, Blinky Palermo and Frankie Carbo were running Sonny, you know, and, you know, a lot of people think he had a mysterious death. You know, the guy, yeah. they used to say Sonny was only afraid of one thing in, his, in the world, and that was a, a needle for a shot. And they found him dead in Vegas with track marks all over his arms from heroin. Yeah. Well, he never, he never would have taken a shot of heroin in his life. So you know, there's you know, and, and Blinky Plummer and Frank Carvel didn't pay him for some of the last fights. He was getting drunk in bars in Vegas and talking about that. And next thing you know, they find him in his house in Vegas with twelve newspapers in the driveway. And this is the heavyweight champion of the world. They don't know he's you know former heavyweight champion. And Johnny Taco, the trainer in Vegas, was the last, uh, who was a dear friend of mine, was the last guy that Johnny Taco's gym up in Las Vegas was the last guy to see Sonny alive. But, uh, and Sonny was a great guy, a real sweet guy. He was quiet and, you know, kind of shy, you know, and really a stranger. But once he knew he was a, a big teddy bear, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I just think the world, I, I'm really looking forward to watching the funeral on Friday. You know, I was going to go and I thought, I don't want to just be another one of them billions of people there. Ali knew who I, how I felt about him. And that's all that matters to me. You know, was, yeah. Wow. But Man. I'm going to sure watch the funeral. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the life he, the life he had, the life he led, uh, like you said, I haven't heard anybody who, who knew him or, or met him casually have a negative thing to say about him. You know, um, like I mentioned, there's a couple of people who, had comments that they they never met him or never never spent any well, time. Well, there's always going to be naysayers. There's, yeah. I mean, look what they did to Jesus Christ. What do you think they're going to do to Muhammad Ali? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And there's there's always been there's always has and always will people be people that are going to say something negative out of jealousy or out of prejudice or who knows what their reasons are. That's their problem. It's not Ali's. You know. All I know is wherever he's at, that's where I'm going to end up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and he is he has been, you know. I mean, if there's anybody that would be a role model in your life, it's him. Because, you know, a lot of the qualities he, he had as a man and a human being is things I strive for. Because I, a lot of my shortcomings were his strong points, you know. You know, as far as accepting all people and everything, you know, I still struggle with that, you know. And uh, he was the master at it, you know. I mean, and, he, and it was him. It was him, you know. He was pure. I mean, maybe one of the most pure people. You know, I always said, think about this. I was telling somebody the other day, somebody asked me the other day, who are the, the, like the nicest people you've ever met that were like star athletes? Uh, I said, well, John Wooden was a coach at UCLA. You couldn't say a negative thing about him yeah. if anybody that knew John Wooden. And he was married to the same woman, for Nell, his high school sweetheart. And now, so he's a guy that I can't, Ali was a completely different kind of guy. You know, he... He didn't go to college. He had four wives. He had, he had 10 million women throwing themselves at him. But if you look at the two of them, Ali was the most spread the, the world gospel better than any man I've ever seen. And the, and the Ali that, you know, the, the, you know, when he finally grew up and got out of his childhood stuff was like a perfect human being. I mean, he was really like a perfect human being. So, you know, I've always said, I'll take the guy that, you know, was out there messing around. I can relate more to Ali than I can. I loved John. John Wooden was a dear friend of mine. Yeah. He was over at his house and, and seen him all the time. But 
he was, you know, he was almost too goody two shoes for me. Does that make sense? Where Ali was like, every every guy would love Ali. You know what I mean? He right. was just he didn't he didn't and all, you know wouldn't never judge anybody either. You know he was great about that. You know he never, you know G- Dean Chances. We were over at his house one time and he says, "Hey, coach, you know Casey's been married six times." And he just laughed. He didn't. He didn't look down at me because I've been married six times. You know what I mean? Uh, in other words, and and Ollie wouldn't either. You understand what I'm right. saying? But but Ollie's married four times. So. <laughs> 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 and, you know, but it, I'll tell you one good story though. I'm over at his birthday party, and, and then I went over there again when he's in the Hancock Park, and we're, I'm trying to get this deal put together. So I'm in his office, and he's training for a fight. So this was at his birthday party. And he said, would you like a bowl of vanilla ice cream? I said, sure. So he gives me a bowl of vanilla ice cream. We're in his office. He had a little office in, the, in his house. And he has a bowl of vanilla ice cream. I said, oh, you're training. He had three big bowls of vanilla ice cream. He's training for a fight. <laughs> and then then, then he, 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 Veronica, his wife, comes in. And he says, oh, say hi, Veronica. And I said, oh, hi. He had this, like an Iranian guy who was a Muslim, not a black guy. He, was, he had a tie on. Was standing overlooking everything we were saying, and the Veronica comes in and says hi and everything, and she leaves. And I said, I said, Muhammad, she's just gorgeous. It's just beautiful. The guy standing there calls me out. He says, Mr. Case, I need to speak to you. He calls me out of the room. Oh, he didn't care. He said, the, Me and my wives are beautiful. Yeah. No, he didn't care. The guy calls me out and the, and he says. I want to see you do business with Mr. Ali, but you never tell a Muslim his wife is beautiful. And he says, I, can you believe that? And I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do anything to offend anybody. But Ali wasn't offended. It was the guy standing there. Did you understand what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. Yeah, well, see, I, I would think that. Was, here's the funniest thing he said. He said, he said to Ferdinand Marcus, the president of the Philippines in 1975, he said, hey, when I saw your wife, I realized you weren't as dumb as you look. <laughs> so he was, it sounds like every time you're around him, he he, he had something that, uh, humorous to say. I never forgot. That's the great thing about him. Even in my drinking face, he you break it. You're breaking up, Bob. Hello? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, that's better. Okay, you knew me when I was a drunk. You follow me? Yeah. And he used to always tell me, stop drinking. You got to stop drinking. You got to do this. You got to do that. I mean, isn't that amazing for him to care about me as a, you know, drinking? And I did stop drinking, you know, but the bottom line is he really loved people. You know? Yeah. Well, that uh, that uh, you, those are those are stories you, you're gonna, you're never gonna forget, and uh, I'm glad you're, you're glad you're able to share them with us. And and well, I want uh, you to have me on sometime so I can tell you some cute stories. <laughs> I, I got a whole a whole plethora. You probably do. <laughs> stories when he was a cop. Stories when he was a linebacker. Stories. When, uh, there's and, enough to uh, go. There's enough to share. That's for sure. <laughs> 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 hey, before I let you go, before I let you go, I, I you, you know you're my you're my inside guy over at SC. What what are things looking like? Uh, you know they, they should be getting ready to to uh, go into some summer some summer stuff, and then the season to be uh, right around the corner. What, what are you seeing over there? I am so excited about this play home. Like I said, the Blacks are going to be the first game of the season. No, but you know you know we I was 
down in Malibu about a couple of weeks ago. We saw William Hughes, and he expects him to beat Alabama. He believes he'll be. You know, he's a big you know donor there. Yeah. And I, I just think this guy's got the right coaches, the right the players like him. They, as I said on your show before, they respect him. He has a T-shirts given out to the players that says uh, "Faith, Family, Football" on the T-shirts. You know, and he's got it on the wall there on the practice field on uh, Brian Kennedy Field. So, you know, it's like you look and you see all this stuff and you go, what's, I, and the kids are working out. They're all busting their ass. You know, the, the new, there's, I think they have like seven or eight freshmen and the rest will come in in August. I think they start practice like August 1st. Yeah. But I can't wait for the season to start. You know, I'm so excited about it. As, as you know, that's my favorite sport, college football, you know, but. It's uh, I'm following the Dodgers a little too. I actually got my TV changed so I can listen to Ben Scully, you know. But um, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to go watch the uh, the Dodgers triple triple A team play this week. Uh, oh, are you? You're back in Oklahoma, right? Yep, 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 yep. Where, where do they play? They play uh, right here in Oklahoma City in uh, Bricktown. At the I, I, I was there at a stadium uh, that same stadium uh, last year. And uh, watched the double A team play, and uh, they were playing. I guess uh, I think it was Idaho or somebody. And uh, Sammy Sosa was on the team. So um, really, yeah, the, he was playing last year. Uh, it was either last year or the year before. He was playing for wow. the Idaho something or other, or the yeah. I- Iowa somebody's. It was double A ball, but uh, I, I found out the the Dodgers triple A teams down here, and they, they they're home. Oh, they're home all week, so I might go check them out. Oh, like go see minor league baseball is great. I love minor league. Baseball. Oh, it's fun. It's a blast. And you should save the program so you can see which guys make it. You know, after the, you saw a play. You know I mean? uh, that's true. Five Absolutely. years, those guys only. Uh, like they brought up this kid, uh, this Mexican kid that's nineteen. He struck out seven guys the other day in four innings. You know? so oh, the guy they call him the next Fernando, huh? Exactly. Yeah, this guy can throw him, man. He's throwing at 95, 96. Little left-hander, but boy, did he look good. I saw him. And they're starting. They're coming around. That that Corey Seager is at five home runs in two days the other day, three and two. Yeah. And uh, you know the the Peterson guy's getting better. He's getting a better thing of the strike zone. They're all starting to you know really come around better. So if they get healthy, and I think Utley's helping them a little bit at second base. Chase Utley's doing yeah. fairly well. So. They can get them. You know, they're only three games behind the Giants right now, so they're yeah. not out of it. And Kershaw's still Kershaw, man. So, yeah, oh, he's the best pitcher all the <laughs> Well, Bob, thank you so much, man, and uh, we're, we're going to chat with you again real soon, brother. Uh, Keith, I always love talking to you, buddy, and uh, God bless you and your staff. And uh, um, have any detail you about his meetings with the other guy? I definitely will, Muhammad. Uh, okay, God bless. Thank you too. Bye. Bob Case, everybody. Bob Case, the uh, former vice president of the IB, IBA, International Boxing Association. And uh, we got uh, AD coming up next. We're going to take a quick break and come back and uh, get the great Anthony Davis on the line. You're listening to Swoops World on Talk Star Radio Network, sponsored by HealthyNewDay.com. And uh, this one here is uh, 20 Eyes, Mrs. Wright.
Hey, how you doing? This is Joe Walsh. I'm speaking on behalf of Rad. It's okay to rock and roll, right? But don't drive home drunk. If you're drunk, call me up. I have a limo. I'll come and get you. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 to give Dad his medicine. At 6, I make his breakfast. At 7, I shower. Every day I wake up For at those five. caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Talk Story Radio Network. Hey, this is Sean Paul on the wall. You're listening to Welcome back to the show, our good friend and colleague, the great five-time national champion, two-time All-American out of USC, Anthony Davis. How you doing, brother? Doing good. Man, you sound good, man. You must have a new fancy phone or something there. No, 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 no. Uh, we've got a landline this time. Ah, all right, all right. Hey, uh, it's, uh, it's it's always good to have a chance to chat with you. We uh, uh, We just got off the phone. With a friend of yours, Mr. Bob Case, and uh, Bob was telling us some stories about him and Muhammad Ali, and then he said, uh, "You, you, uh, you knew Muhammad Ali uh, real well, also, huh?" Well, I mean, I didn't know him the way Bob Case knew him, but I, you know, he knew. He, well, put it this way: the fact that he acknowledged me is good enough for me. I mean, he acknowledged the fact that you know I've been around him three times. And the first time that he acknowledged the fact of what I did against Notre Dame in 1972. And he used the N-word when he was identifying me. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you the niggas that scored six touchdowns against Notre Dame. <laughs> I was sort of thrown back with that, but that was Muhammad Ali. But the bottom line is the fact that this, this man of his magnitude acknowledged me and knew what it was about. And what happened was, the week of the Notre Dame game, as you know, historically, and you go in the archives of L.A. Times, I predicted that I was going to make two long runs. I didn't think they were going to print that, but they did. So I got in a lot of trouble with my teammates for voicing my opinion. <laughs> I was brash being like him. And that's what got his attention, the fact that this young 19-year-old predicted that he would do something like this, and he did that on national scene. He did it on national television, scored six touchdowns, and had 368 yards in total offense. Yeah, so that got his attention, and and that's how we met, and it was we were brought together by the guy a guy by the name of Booker Griffin, the late Booker Griffin, who used to put on things at a radio station called KGLH, and uh, that's how we met. And then the next time I was around Ali was in the early '90s 
when we was we were at an autograph show together, signing autographs, and he and he reiterated the same thing he said in 1973 when he met me. <laughs> but but the thing is, the fact we took pictures, and the fact that he admired me for for what I did, and you know, like he used to predict predict the rounds of the nonsense. He liked the fact how I said I was gonna have two long runs. And that was accomplished along with the other four touchdowns against Notre Dame. And, and, and the third time he, he acknowledged it again, this is when he was really suffering from Parkinson. I think it was in 88 and 1999 and 1998. Uh, we were in a place called Spoggles in Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And uh, it was Sidney Poitier was there. I was there in the restaurant, and he was there. And he, you know, he was shaking from the Parkinson, and he acknowledged the fact and said the same thing to me again. And we all took pictures, and that's the last I saw him. But, I mean, uh, he was my idol. But what people don't realize, back in those years, back in the early 70s and late 60s, we're still dealing with Jim Crow. I mean, they, he was just fresh. He was fresh out of work. He got his license back. He was, his three or four years of his boxing career was taken from him. I mean, the fact that, that, that I admired him, acknowledged him, and idolized him, that got me in trouble. I mean, that was a no-no. You couldn't even talk about him. And if you did publicly and, 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 and admiring him, you sort of paid the price. And uh, and I know my uh, one of my teammates by the name of Marvin Cobb tabbed me as a Muhammad Ali of college football. <laughs> you know, so, so I don't, I mean, I took it as a compliment, and I always will take that as a compliment to the day I go to my grave. And uh, and the fact that what he stood for me, and he's legendary now, but people don't realize back in the day, he was ostracized, you know. But but I still stuck my guns. I still admired him, and uh, and so be it. I'm glad that I can say that I was uh, mentioned in, in his words in some kind of way. You know what a lot of people don't realize, especially the younger folks, you know, he was so big. I, I remember, you know, I mean, of course, things were different uh, all the way around uh, back then. But I, I remember listening to his fights on the radio. I mean, you listen to the heavyweight championship fight on the radio. I mean, they're fighting, they're fighting in the Philippines, and, you know, time difference and all this kind of stuff. And it wasn't televised, but... The next day, you'd go out, and everybody had listened to it. Everybody had sat right. by the radio to listen to those fights. Uh, was it because of him? I know there was an era when you know that's the only way you could pick it up. But I, it, the, the sport had to be so big because of, because of how big he was. Well, the thing is that you, you got to remember. You know, you, know, you got let's go back. A lot of people need to know this. He comes out of he wins the gold medal in 1960 in Rome in Rome. Comes back home, Jim Crow South, Louisville, where he's from. Goes to a restaurant where he could not eat, and he said, "Well, I'm going to eat here." Then they said, "I don't care." They said, "I don't care." I'm going to go you. You're not eating here. So whatever you want to believe, one way or the other, you know. He told me he went to the to the Ohio River, the Tennessee River, whatever, which one of those rivers run through there, and threw his gold medal into the river. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, a lot of people say it didn't happen. Some people said it did. Some people said, that, you know, so Olympic came, you know, was, that was embarrassing. They gave it back years later. But the thing is, this man went through Jim Crow South in the 60s, Grim, Grim Crow South in the 70s. You know, people were still anti him. A lot of people would say that he 
you know, was was uh, with was with a, with the renegade group, the Nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and you know, he was he was a, he sold the country out, Dodge drafter, and he was being called everything, you know. So our society at the time says, you know, you can't do that, you know, you got to go honor your country, and then he comes out and says, well, no Vietcongs ever called me a nigga. So I mean, I admired that, you know, and then he and he was more than just a boxer. He was an activist. He, he, he did a lot for people's spirit. You know, he was, you know, he was a good-looking guy. He was the whole package. He was spiritual. He helped people. And he'd done things that people don't even know he's done pe- things for. You know, so... And, and you know, and, and, and as days go on, you're going to see a lot of things come on about what he's done that no one's ever known. Right. And he's helped a lot of people in terms of and across the board. I mean, a lot of people thought he was a militant. I mean, he had militant views on stuff because he was standing up for his people, number one, and, and just people in general. But so, you know, uh, I admired that because what people did, didn't want to do that he did, didn't have the nerve to do what he did. That's what, that, that's what got my attention with him. Because in those days, most blacks wouldn't even dare do what he did. You know, and, and the things that he demonstrated is legendary now. But back in the day, very controversial. You know, some of the people said, you know, A.D., you followed the steps in him, too. I said, well, I did in a small way, but he, 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 was, he was my kind of guy. I don't care what anybody says. It's interesting. You know, one of, one of the conversations I heard this week was the fact that he did, uh, he did speak out against things, and he did take a stand, and a stand that cost him his freedom, uh, and it cost him financially. And there, you know, the question was: Do we have, do we have celebrities or athletes or people with that kind of power today that are willing to take those, to take those risks? There will never be another one like him, and I don't think there's anybody. There's no one out there that do will take those risks. Like I said, he was. I'm not going to say he's Jesus-like, but I mean, the man just had it all. Talk, looks, charisma. You know, he created a crowd. He created interesting things. There will never be another athlete like him. And these guys today, these athletes today, from Jordan, LeBron, Curry, everybody on down, take your head off to this man because of what he stood for and what he did, you guys wouldn't be doing what you're doing today. So there's nobody today... They didn't have the nerve to do what he did, even today. And even today it would be more accepted, politically correct, accepted today than it was 40, 50 years ago. But a lot of guys today don't even have the nerve to do what he did back in the Jim Crow years when you were even allowed to do that. Right. So, so when I look at these guys today, you're taking the back seat and you guys are playing with yourself because uh, that was a man, and that was a true man. And they only come around... Every once in a while, and he's that person. One of the things uh, that uh, we, we I've talked about this week with other people, you know, um, I remember years ago when they said when they first said this, and, and it probably was still true to the day he died. He was one of the most recognizable people in the world. Uh, you know, they had him, you know, listed with you know Mother Teresa and a couple other people. Just the, there was nowhere in the world he couldn't go and not be recognized. I mean, that's that's amazing. No, he 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 was the well. See, a lot of people just didn't look at him as just being 
a world heavyweight boxer. I mean, he went up against the great United States. I mean, you know, I mean, that's another reason why people acknowledge him. You got to remember, in those years, you, you could you couldn't do what you, you couldn't do what he did as a black man. That's another reason that made him so recognizable around the globe. Is because of what he stood for in the United States. You know, so so when, when you look at the overall thing, why he went to to mag, it magnified things when he went everywhere else. If he went to Africa, if he went to the Middle East, if he went to Europe, the Far East. Um, he was like, when, 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 when he stepped off a plane anywhere, that's E.F. Hutton stepping off the plane. Yeah. That's everywhere he went. It, it didn't matter. Right. And the fact that he was generous, he loved kids, he made kids happy, he made everybody happy he came around. A lot of that stuff you saw he was doing, you know, calling people this and calling people that, that was all, that was all alley promotion. And he was Spartan, the genius of doing that. He created people around to come around him. When uh, we talk about, uh, how do you call it? Not not just publicity, but promotion. Uh, you know, he knew how to promote himself. He knew how to promote his fights. Uh, you know, his competitors benefited from the, from the same you know same promotions that he did. Uh, the guy was a was a genius at, pr- at promoting his his himself, his fights, and his views. And uh, you know he did it in a way that uh, you know most people enjoyed it. See, let me say this to you: the fact that what he did, and the fact that he got his title stripped, doing the heart of what he was doing, doing the turbulent sixties, Vietnam, the assassinations of Kennedy, Evers, Malcolm X. Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, and all these people, and all this stuff. He he was doing things that people never thought of thinking about doing. And when, and, when, and, when, and and the fact that he had the nerve and the charisma to stand up to the, the powers of be and says, "I'm gonna be myself. I'm gonna promote myself, and I'm gonna promote, any, I'm gonna promote anybody around me." That's what he stood for. He didn't care. He knew what's right and what's wrong. And even like I told you, a lot of people of color admired him the fact that they didn't have the nerve to stand up and do what he did. That's you know that's why he stands out so much in my mind. Right. So everyone in the world knew that about him. His training regimen. You're an athlete. You're a pro athlete. You know what it takes to 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 perform at that level. Uh, you know, we've heard stories. You know, even when I was growing up about the, the, the type of training he did, and, you know, he went above and beyond what a lot of guys would do. Um, you know, that that kind of intensity, that kind of uh, drive doesn't hit everybody. doesn't even hit everybody on a professional level. Uh, was that one of the reasons he was able to stay in the fight game so long? Well, you know, when you take three years, the, the best years away from an athlete, I mean, can you imagine you taking three, four years of the yoga, of the, of the career where you know you had to come back? There's one thing to train knowing you lose your license. There's another train, and for him to come back like that is the reason his work ethic got him back. But as you know, he fought too long and took a toll on him because of, he's trying to compensate for the three, four years he lost. So his work, his work ethic really kicked in when he came back. And he really showed really what kind of true champion he was. So if, if I'm a boxer, and I'm an athlete, particularly if I'm a boxer today, and I know, you know the story of Muhammad Ali and what happened to him, 
you should feel a little inferior about him because can you imagine he had those four years back? Can you imagine what he would have done? So if I'm a boxer, if, and if I'm Mayweather, you talking about you tell some Mayweather, you ain't the greatest. Mayweather, you, you you're the benefactor benefactor of what Muhammad Ali did and set up for you. And I'll tell you that publicly. I don't care. You, you know, uh, it's flat out that Ali is the reason why you getting what you're getting today. And Ali, and you weren't stripped three years. Ali was. And you know Ali, you didn't look like him. You didn't have a charisma like him. You might think you do. But you don't. <laughs> the thing is, that is that, that, that's the reason that these guys should all take note on what he was about and what they did to him. And then not only that, no one today has ever had any kind of charisma outside the football field or baseball field or boxing ring like he did. I mean, he was just more, he was much of a, as a star outside the ring as he was in the ring. Yeah. In a time where he was allowed to be. See, that's what makes him so special because he was doing stuff in the 60s that was unheard of for a black person to do in the 60s. Matter of fact, anybody, but him being black especially. I mean, he told us straight out the way it was. We're, we're here with uh, live with Anthony Davis, uh, five-time national champion, two-time All-American out of USC. AD, you know, I know one of the big things uh, that you that you stand for and and and, and fight for uh, on the, on the NFL level is uh, you know uh, traumatic brain injury. Um, you know, the fight game is is a dangerous sport as always. We've we've spoken about. Um, you know, you got to you got to figure that uh, some of the some of the the cause for his uh, Parkinson is probably attributed to a lot of the blows he's taken. He took over the, over the course of his career. What are your thoughts about um, you know brain trauma and boxing? And uh, you know, we talk about how the NFL and other sports and our military need to protect our the people that that uh, are uh, susceptible to this. What about the boxing game? First of all, the boxing game is, is, I mean, it's straight out traumatic. I mean, these guys get blows all the time. Every time you get hit in the head, that's traumatic. Even when you're sparring, it's traumatic. I mean, I think the World Boxing Association on all divisions should create the same thing like they need to do in the National Football League. They need to set up a thing with these guys who are in the the Boxing Association worldwide to take care of these guys. Because most of these guys don't live past 55 or 60. And if they do, it's not the quality of life is gone. You can see what happened to Muhammad. You can see about all the rest of them. Because either you develop either Parkinson's or you develop dementia, different forms of dementia. Yeah. You know, So I believe that if you're going to create these fight games, which is a big money game, you need to take care of everybody to participate. Like I've always said, if you build a brand, you need to take care of the people who make the brand. And that's, what, and that's what I believe they should all do. Now, you know, a lot of people view my words controversial, but I guess what I don't think to me going to kick me out of the room when I see my colleagues walking around here dying prematurely and having issues where, you know, your, your wife has to program your car to get you home or either, you know, your wife, is, your wife has to remind you that you said this yesterday and you don't remember saying that, and you got to walk back to your door not thinking you walked your door. Or, I mean, you, you know, come on, I mean... Yeah, I'm a big advocate for that. 
and I'm and I'm an advocate for any sport that deals with with head trauma. And I and the number one guys of all of these guys in sport is the soldiers coming back. The way the soldiers are treated in this country is, is, is a tragedy. I mean, anyone who sits back on this soil that protects this country should be taken care of. Yeah. Period. So in that whole umbrella of brain trauma, the soldiers, the boxers, the MMA fighters, the NFL players, that's major brain trauma. And and I would say the worst is, is the soldiers. Secondly, uh, the boxing, the MMA fighting, the football, hockey, soccer. It should be it should be regulations, and simply should have things that can take care of these individuals who have done and sacrificed like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm just, you know, I mean that man, that's just, to me that's just common sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, am I saying something that's way out of line? The controversial. I mean, here you're talking about great players and great people who have sacrificed for this country, for entertainment, and for our protection, and they're not being taken care of. Yeah, that's insane. Oof. You're, you're absolutely right, man. You know, you you bring up some points, uh, and it's a good time to kind of to touch on this. You know, you talk about uh, what our soldiers uh, deserve, uh, people who, who protect and serve our country. We're in an electric an election year, and uh, you know, there's a whole lot of thought about the the, the 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 nominees and whatnot. I know you I know you keep track of a lot of things besides sports. Uh, what are your thoughts on on uh, the, what, what's going to be the, the, the two nominees for the two major parties? Well, first of all, you know, anywhere you go talk, I mean, you, you, I can go to South Central, I can go to Newport Beach, I can go to all socioeconomic backgrounds, you know. And the bottom line, both what I hear is that Trump and Clinton are the best of the two. Who's the best of the two worlds? Who's actually going to do what they say they're going to do? Now, now, Trump has resonated a lot of people due to the fact that he talks about the border. He talks about the unfair trade agreements with China. He talks about the Middle East. He talks about the immigration situation. And he talks about Obamacare. Now, if he can, if he can, if he can change one of those things he's talking about, then he's going he's to come down looking real good. But if it's just fluff and just talk, like everybody says it is, you see, because he's saying stuff, that's resonating people. And that's the reason why a lot of people say Trump should be. But let me tell you something. The reason Trump, the Trumps of the world are here is because the Washington, the political system in Washington created the Trumps of the world. You see? And, and, and Hillary Clinton, um, in my opinion, is on the other side as part of the traditional politician of today and in the past. Now, now when you talk to people, everybody has issues about both candidates back and forth. But the main thing in terms of what Trump has said, a lot of people call him a bigot, a lot of people call him, but he woke people up. But in terms of the IRS and like the other things I just mentioned, if he can change one or two of those things in a four-year term, a lot of this stuff's been established. Like you look at the you know, NAFTA, the trade with Mexico and the United States. Well, that's been in play for 20 years. The trade agreements with China and everybody else, that's been in play for 25 years. Can he turn that around in four years? I like to see that, <laughs> but but I mean, but can, can can you change the way NATO ap- operates in the world? I like to see that. What can you do about 
the unfair trade stuff about with with the, the, the OPEC oil nations and stuff, Saudi Arabia, and what you need to do about the Middle East. I want to see that happen. See, a, a lot of intellectuals want to know can Trump actually do this? And and and, and the political sayers say it can't happen. Well. I haven't seen anything happen in the last 25 years. And, and if you go to South Central and you talk to the average black person in a fish shop or a shoe shop or a beauty salon, they'll say, it doesn't matter who's the president. A little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, I'm going to get up. It's not going to change my life one way or another. Now, see, that's the general attitude of people that I talk to. Yeah. And, I, and I hear that between uh, all races. A lot of people think it'll make a difference. You know, you've got to be able to roll the punches and nothing's going to happen. Everything that's going on in this country, they believe, is set in stone. Well, you know, my, my theory is we've we got, we got a country over 300 million people in it, and this is the, this the best we can come up with with these two is, is, is pretty much, to me, just an embarrassment. And, I mean, there's got to be brighter minds, uh, better, better, better spokespeople, better represent, uh, representatives, for the country, and, and and it's not just these two, and I mean the whole lot that we had uh, running this time around. There's a whole lot of people in, the, in, the, in those groups there that just I, I I just can't believe that that's that's the best we can come up with. Um, but uh, I hope whoever whoever ends up, you know, does a good job because you know we have to live with it. Uh, and I kind of get some of that thought process. Well, it doesn't affect me. Well, bottom line, it does affect you because whether it's taxes or, or laws, right. uh, you know, you might not you might not feel it on a day to day basis, but it's going to hit you sometime in the next four years. Well, yes, I mean, you know, you 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 have to figure, you have to figure, you, you're going you're going to feel it indirectly somewhere down the road. It might not be today, it might it might be next week, it might be the next month, it might be the next six months. Yeah, you're going to feel you're going to feel the effects of whoever the president is, right? But, but but the bottom line is most people overall that I've talked to, both in all socioeconomic backgrounds, they say it's not going to change anything they do in their life to the point where it's going to be so majorly overly noticeable that they're still going to survive it anyway. But, you know, in saying all of this, Keith, in saying all of this, and we in the United States, and what's really crazy about everything, it's still the best country in the world. But the way we're talking, it should be much better based on what we have. Right. But as bad as, as, bad as the issues we're dealing with here in this country, it's worse in other places. Well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> and and I would hate to see that. It's <laughs> like but, I, I told somebody the other day, people, people die to come in. Not many people are dying to get out. Right, absolutely. So so I'm just saying now, we are very conscientious of of. of of this country, and it could be better. And see, I already know it could be better. And when you, and then for example, if you have a soldier that goes to the Middle East and bases all around the world, and they come back here, hey, you just treat them like kings and queens. The men and women that put that uniform on, they should be treated with red carpet everywhere they go. Because let me tell you something, whatever I see one publicly, I don't care if it's, a, if, if, if it's World War II, if they're still living, uh, Korean War, Vietnam, uh, uh, Desert Storm, Iraq, Afghanistan, I always acknowledge every one of them. Yeah. Thank you for your service. Because all the trash that we talk, 
all the trash that we do, all the crazy things we do, we wouldn't be able to do it for those people in those, so, in those uniforms to do what we do. Absolutely. See, so, so, so I acknowledge them, period, period. And, 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 and there's one thing I can say about Trump that got everybody going is he, he touched on those things. Whether or not he can be able to perform those things, and if he does become the president, we'll see. And whatever she's talking about uh, and her baggage and whatever she, she's dealing with, we'll see. But when you talk about everybody overall, people think, well, who's the best of the two evils? That's the word on the street I get. Right. I just think I I I think in, in the in the big scheme of thing and in the, in the big the big picture is, uh, you know I'm tired of, of having these elections where people talk about well I'm just trying to go for the lesser of two evils I think one of these times we just need to have just two outstanding candidates with uh, opposing outstanding views. And you know, and and you you get, you get a clear, a clear, concise choice. But regardless of who wins, uh, we're still in good hands. And I, I, I don't I don't know that we've we've had those opportunities recently or in my lifetime. So hopefully we have a uh, you know before before I go I get to say, hey, it doesn't matter who wins because I feel confident about both of these people. But we'll see. Well, a lot of people talk about. There's no such thing as a Democratic Party anymore. There's no such thing as Libertarian or Republican or Independent. It's just because we're at the crossroads in our country now. Well, who's going to make it happen regardless of it's Democrat or any of those other parties? You see, so if they're Democrat, Libertarian, Republican, we're at a point now in our country's history is that we're at the crossroads. Okay, who, regardless of what party you're in, is going to keep this country surviving the best in the world. See, that's, that's where we are. Are we going to become a mediocre power? Are we going to become an equal power to everyone else in the world? Is China going to take over the number one? Is it going to be some country? Some Is going to be the, the European Union? Who, who is it going to be? Is it going to still be the United States? See, that's where we are, in my opinion, yeah. in terms of what where we are in the world standing. Well, we're going to find out here real soon, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess so. I mean, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm not going to hold my breath, but I'm going I'm to, you know, aggressively listen and hear and see what goes on. Absolutely. A.D., uh, real quick, we, uh, you know, everybody knows uh, who's listening to our show regularly, Anthony Davis has a book out. Uh, it's available on, on, on various platforms. It's called uh, Kickoff Concussion, How the Notre Dame, Notre Dame Killer Recovered His Brain. Uh, tell uh, everybody a little bit about the book, A.D., and where they can find it. Well, you know, you can get the book on Lulu.com and in Amazon. And, uh, and if, you know, then go, you can get it through BookSoup, too. So uh, it's doing well. Uh, it's, a, it's a good read. Uh, I'm proud of it. Dr. Daniel Amen wrote the, the foreword to it, and uh, I'm behind the study of it. The study was, was a great study. Uh, I'm, I'm the first guy who uh, did the brain study of 150 former NFL players, uh, and and I was uh, one of the benefactors of the brain study and the supplement program. A lot of people might question whether you know the studies, but the study is solid. The book is solid. 
and uh, also a person, another doctor who worked along with Dr. Amen, uh, Dr. Christian Willemeyer, who is a Ph.D. scientist who was right there, the right arm of Dr. Amen. Uh, she's a big advocate of it, and she's a believer in the program and the study and the supplement program. So with that in the book, I'm in good hands, I believe. Absolutely. Well, uh, you can also, if, if, you can, if, you don't, if you don't find it in all those places you mentioned, just go to the front page of swoopsroll.com. The book is there, and then it'll click you and take you, I believe, to his uh, either Amazon or Lulu page. So you, 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 can always, uh, you can always go there if you can't remember how to get there, and then it'll take you right to where you need to do to, to get it. A.D., as always, uh, it's a pleasure having a chance to chat with you and uh, talk about what's happening in our world and get your, uh, get your uh, personal experiences with Muhammad Ali. I appreciate that. I'm glad I can be able to speak on this great man tonight. Absolutely. We will talk again real soon, brother. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot. Great Anthony Davis, everybody. You are listening to Swoops Run on the Talk Story Radio Network, sponsored by HealthAnyDay.com. That's going to do it for us again uh, this week. And uh, as I will be on co-hosting with Xander Gibb on XRAD Daily on Blog Talk Radio tomorrow, and that is at 5 p.m. Pacific, which makes it 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If I'm doing the math correctly. <laughs> but that's going to do it for us. And as we always say, dream as if you'll live forever. Live as if you'll die today. Good night, all. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Talk Story Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. 